Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Good morning again. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, uh, we'll uh, continue to look at chapter 2 this morning. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be starting with verse 12 today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated this morning. We are going to uh, continue to uh, our study in the book of Philippians today. We've uh, looked at chapter 1, and we've looked at the first half of chapter 2, and today we're going to look at uh, what it means to be a light in the world, and Paul's direction uh, to the Philippians uh, here in these verses, and, and uh, I hope that we are challenged today, and that we are encouraged by God's word today. So he says here in verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. Uh, that, uh, you know, when you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, it is not a, uh, let's not say expectation, it's not a nice thing that you and I would be obeyed, that we would obey God, right? It's not something we could take or leave. Uh, we don't have a choice. Uh, when you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we must obey God. We must honor God with our choices that we make, the lives that we leave, the words that we say. We must strive to be obedient to God. If you recall, James said, you guys can talk about your faith, but I'm going to demonstrate my faith through my actions by being obedient to, be obedient to God and his work. Uh, many uh, in, in the Christian world today, this obedience to God almost seems like a... Uh, you know, not a requirement, right? It's if you feel like it. You know, it's one of those uh, conditions that uh, you can take or leave. It's, you know, pick or choose if you're going to do it or not. But the bottom line is you and I are to be obedient to God, not just on Sundays, but also throughout the week. We're to honor God with our lives. Uh, we must be obedient to him. And I, I am challenged by this, and I hope that you are challenged as well. To look at your life and see the areas that you and I, that we're struggling in, where we are struggling to be obedient to God, that we could make adjustments and changes. 
Right? Paul has just told us that we are to esteem others better than ourselves, right? He's given us the name of uh, Jesus as the example of humility, right? And so he's telling us to be humble and to uh, not consider ourselves better than anybody else, but below them and to serve them, right? To humble ourselves and how Christ humbled himself to the point of death. And he's saying, you know, uh, therefore, right, as you have always obeyed, continue to obey. We must be obedient to Christ for what he's done for us, the price he paid on Calvary, the love that he has shown us. Obedience to him is required. But he says, you have always obeyed to the Philippians, not only when I was with you, but now even more importantly, when I'm not with you. So what they were showing was, is that by continuing to be obedient to Christ in their lives, even though Paul wasn't with them, is that they were the real deal. Right? They were love God, they were serving God, and they were honoring God, even though Paul was not there. And so this brought Paul great joy that they were living and being obedient to Christ, and they were serving him, even without him as oversight. Many times we think that as long as the pastor doesn't know or that person in the church that we respect doesn't know that we're getting away with it, it's going to be okay. But the most important time to be obedient and honor God is when nobody's watching. And that secret time at home, right, where no one else sees, not even your spouse, baby, not even your children. Where it's just you and God. Because remember this, whether I'm there or anybody else is there, God is always there. The great thing about that is that means you can access and talk to God at any time and anywhere. But it also means that he's always there and you cannot hide from God. You can't hide from him. You and I cannot hide. And so he is aware of all the good and all the bad. And we cannot hide that from him though we may hide it from others. And so we must be like the Philippians, that we live according to God's word uh, to serve him and honor him with our lives, whether anybody is seeing it or not. Right? We need to worship at home, just like we worship at church. We need to pray at home, just like we pray at church. We need to show love to others at home, just like we show love to others at church. We need to reach a lost and a dying world and preach the gospel at home and in our world, just like we do at church. We're to honor God in all of those places, whether in his house or not, because we carry his house with him. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Uh, where we go, God goes. And we are to honor him in that way. And so he says, even though I'm not there, uh, you know, even much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that word work is in the, the Greek word is in the present tense. And so it's saying continually working out that it's not uh, something that ever ends, right? And what Paul is talking about here is sanctification. You'll recall in our study of the book of Romans, we talked a little bit about sanctification, right? Uh, there's two types of sanctification. There's positional, right? There's, and then there's progressive. Positional sanctification is where God declares you and I holy. When you are saved, you accept Christ as Lord and Savior as an act of his grace and mercy. He says, you now belong to me. You're holy. You're set apart. He does that for us. But the second part is progressive sanctification, which Paul also talks about when he talks about walking uh, in the spirit, daily living our lives, following after Christ. Now, we're going to make mistakes. 
We're going to, you know, uh, have times of rebelliousness. We're going to say an idle word. We're going to say something, do something, make a decision that's not honoring God. But it's a progressively, we are changing and being conformed to the image of Christ. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. In fact, we'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. The only perfect person that ever walked the face of the earth was Jesus Christ. We will never be perfect. But remember, not being perfect does not mean we should have a license to sin. Right? Uh, We don't have a license to sin because we say, no, I can never be perfect. No, we are challenged because of the price that Christ paid to uh, work out that salvation, continually work to become more like Christ. That is a challenge. It's, It's something that is occurring daily in our lives as we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We are not to walk in the flesh, meaning we're not to just give up ourselves to the lust and the desires of the flesh and sin and just say, God, you know, you'll take care of it in judgment. That's not how it works. If you and I are truly saved, our lives will not be characterized by sin. If our lives are characterized by sin, then we need to have an honest conversation with God. Right. And so we're told to work out our salvation, to continually work, to become more and more like Christ. This isn't your works do not produce salvation. Salvation is by faith alone. This is a working towards sanctification, become more like Christ, more and more holy as we follow after him. And he says we are to do this with fear and trembling. Listen, we talked a little bit about this in our study this morning regarding the fear of God. You and I must have a healthy respect for God. God does not want us to be afraid of him in terms of approaching him, confessing our sins, right? He doesn't want us to be afraid of him like you might be afraid of a monster in the dark, right? He wants us to fear him, though, to reverentially respect him because of who he is. He's God. Not just because of who he is, but because of what he's done. He saved us. He set us free. Right? He changed our lives. He paid the ultimate price. So we are to respect him, fear him. And if you and I properly respect and fear God, it will result in our actions. A change in our actions. The way that we make choices and make decisions. So... Being sanctified progressively, walking and working out our salvation has to be done in fear and trembling because if it's not done with, because if we don't respect God, we'll never change. We'll never change. We'll always be who we've always been. Salvation starts with a fear of God. Saying, God, Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, when you called Christ Lord, when you accepted him as Lord and Savior, when you call upon his name and he saved you, you are now submitting yourself to his authority. You are now giving him respect as Lord of your life. And as such, you should want to please him. Not be rebellious, right? Not hurt him, right? We are to live our lives to please him. And if you are living your life in such a way, if I am living my life in such a way that there are places in my life that I know do not please him, yet I am not attempting to change, there is a problem. 
Doesn't mean we'll be perfect. Doesn't mean we won't struggle with things. But we should, have, we should be striving to change those things in our life. And here's the great thing about God. Is he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He will help us. He gives the Holy Spirit inside of us to transform us, to empower us, to help us change. Change is not easy. Change is hard. If change was easy, we'd all be able to do it, and I would be up here looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And went in his prime. Not now. He's old and flabby. But, you know, like I would be, if change was easy, I wouldn't be the thing that stands before you today. Change is hard. Yeah. It requires commitment. It requires sacrifice. But God, he gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to make those changes and follow after him. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Here's the bottom line. When people ask about what is God's will for my life, and I believe that God has a purpose for every single person, a plan for people's lives. But God's ultimate purpose for you is found in the book of Romans chapter 8. When it says, whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, conformed to the image of his son. Predestined means God predetermined and decided that all that would, uh, he would call and that would know him as Lord and Savior would be conformed to the image of his son. Well, his son was perfect. His son is perfect, holy, like there is none like him. So we are called to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, how many of you guys play with Play-Doh or played with Play-Doh? My granddaughter loves Play-Doh, right? Ezra hasn't gotten there yet. I'm sure he loved it, but he'd eat it, so he hasn't gotten to that place. But uh, my granddaughter, Ruth, loves Play-Doh. And she loves taking those molds and shoving the Play-Doh into it. And when you shove the Play-Doh into it to make the mold, what happens? All the extra Play-Doh goes over the side. And it's torn away, right? Uh, to make it Play-Doh form into the image of whatever that mold is, there's excess that has to be removed, right? You're always, no matter how you measure, typically when you're playing with Play-Doh, you are stuffing more than that mold that'll fit, right? So when you and I are being conformed to the image of Christ and God is molding us, there is stuff that has to be trimmed and cut away. Yeah. And unlike Play-Doh, when you trim and cut away stuff off of a human, Pride, arrogance, guilt, shame, right? Disobedience, rebelliousness. It hurts. It don't feel good. That's why uh, John wrote, uh, we know that God does this because John wrote where Jesus said that we are the vine, he is the, uh, or he is the vine, we are the branches. And what does the Father do? He prunes the provide. Because if he doesn't prune them, they'll never bear fruit. So he prunes and those things that don't bear fruit, he throws away. The things that could bear fruit, he prunes, right? And when you get pruned, it hurts. When God is conforming us to the image of his son, which is his ultimate will for all of us, no matter what, it hurts. It don't feel good. It can be uncomfortable. In fact, uh, if it hurts, it means it's happening right. Right? You know, if you're lifting weights, and it burns, you know you're working the right muscles, mm -hmm. right? If you're running or walking or lifting weights and there's no, there's no pressure against you, there's no strain, well, you're not really helping yourself out at all. You're still going to be like me, a lumpy mess, right? But if you are striving, working against resistance, yeah. you feel that burn. 
You feel those things, that shortness of breath, right? You are meeting those limitations and you are stretching them. And when God is molding us, that's exactly what it is. There will be resistance. It will not be easy, but it will change us. Amen. And that's the whole purpose, right? He has a will for all of our lives. He has a purpose for all of our lives. No question asked. He has an individual will and purpose for you, a plan for your life. But his overall plan, no matter what, first and foremost, is to conform us to the image of his son, to be holy, to be progressively changed as we walk in this life to be more like Christ. Amen. Sanctification is a key issue, and it needs to be addressed in the church because we love to talk about positional sanctification. We're a child of God. He's declared us holy. He now accepts us and loves us. We're adopted. But man, uh, pro pro uh, progressive sanctification, the act of living our lives daily, honoring him and changing and being molded in the image of Christ, we're not always big fans of. Mm -hmm. Right? But we are commanded and God has a work. He has a will for us. And we need to give him control, submit to his will. And if we are... If we are walking with him and working out our faith and our, our salvation with fear and trembling, then we've started the right place, a fear of him, an acknowledgement of who he is, what he's done, that he's God, and God ultimately could do whatever he wants. The psalmist wrote, our God is in heaven and he can do whatever he pleases. Our God is sovereign and whether we like it or not, he could do what he wants. Amen. But we must remember what is God's ultimate goal for all of us? To be made in the image of his son. So when God works and God moves and he does stuff we don't like, he's in control and we always know he's got, the, he's got that one purpose that he's accomplishing in our life, which is to make us like his son. And so that should give us hope that even when things stink, and even when things aren't going great and we're facing trials and tribulations, that God is conforming us to the image of his son. He's making us more like Christ. And folks, that's what it's all about. Drawing close to the Father, being more like Christ. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Woo. Ouch. So while you and I are being obedient to God, uh, while you and I are being conformed to the image of his son, while you and I are experiencing things that we don't like, and God is challenging us with things that we don't like, we are not to complain and argue with him. The Greek word that's actually complain, translated complaining there, uh, and actually the, when you pronounce it, and I can't do it, but uh, it, I should have got an audio for you. It literally sounds like grumble, 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 grumble. Like it is this low uh, grumbling, right, the way the word is pronounced. Uh, and so it means just grumbling against God. The children of Israel did it. They grumbled against God a lot. In the, uh, in the wilderness, they complained about things like not having enough salt or garlic for their food, spices. They complained that they got tired of eating holy food from heaven. They needed some meat, right? They grumbled against God all the time. Murmur, murmur, complain. Right? We all have that person in our life that complains about everything. Right? No matter what, man, they could have uh, uh, you know, uh, great things happen to them that you're looking back going, I wish that would happen to me, and they still find something wrong with it, right? I'm one of those people, I'm a negative, glass half empty person, always see the negative in everything, 
right? Um, that's why I have my beautiful bride who reminds me the glass is, glass is half full and to try to look for the good things. But the truth is, we all know a complainer, right? But we never like to admit we're the complainer. Amen. How many times do we complain against God? How many times do we dispute God's word on a subject? How many times do we challenge God and tell God, you got it wrong on this one? I don't know what you think you're doing, but you messed up. It was supposed to go like this, ABC. I don't like that it's going backwards, CBA. Right? I don't like what you are doing. And we complain and we murmur just like the children of Israel. On trivial things, but also big things. But what that does, when you and I are not obedient to God, uh, uh, and we are complaining, and we're murmuring, and we are uh, disputing, arguing with him about his will and what he's doing in our lives, we are disrespecting him, and we are not treating him with the proper reverence and fear. Right? So we got to stop and think, okay, yes, things are bad. X, Y, and Z has happened, and I don't like it. And I wish I wasn't going through with it. But we pray to God and we say, God, like Jesus did, let your will be done. Mm -hmm. Right? But man, that is hard. And it's okay to pray and ask God to remove it. Jesus did. It's okay to say, God, Paul did too. Take this thorn out of my flesh, right? It's okay to say, God, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm facing this. But I don't know how I'm going to make it. Can you help me out? That's okay. What we don't do is go before God and say, I'm not doing it anymore, God. If you don't fix this, I'm not going to church anymore. Sometimes we like to blackmail God. Right? We like to tell him, well, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then I'm not going to do this. If you don't remove this situation, I'm not going to do this. If you don't take care of this, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to pray. Right? And I had a point in my life where I ran for God for two and a half years, and I had that attitude. Well, forget you, God. You were where you when I needed you. Right? And that came with immaturity, huge amounts of immaturity, right? Where I did not properly respect and fear God for who he was. I was unable to acknowledge my own bad decisions that got me to where I was. Right? And that is a dangerous place to be because you are blaspheming the God of all creation's name. You are telling him he is not who he says he is. And that's blasphemy. When we do not respect God and we tell him that he's wrong, that he's not holy, that he's not worthy, that he's not righteous, that he's not good, that he's not perfect. When we tell him all of those things, we are blaspheming Christ. We are telling God that he is not what he declares himself to be. So when you and I murmur and complain, we better hold up and think about that for a second. I know I need to, to say, oh my goodness, am I telling God he's not who he says he is? Because bad oh man, that'll get you in trouble. We also like to blackmail God the other way. We get ourselves into a pickle and into trouble. And we say, God, well, my goodness, I know I haven't been serving you, but if you'll take care of this problem for me, I'll start going to church. You know, God, if if you'll uh, uh, fix this for me, I'll start praying a little more. I'll read my Bible. We try to block. That's blackmail, folks. That's cutting the deal with God, saying, God, I am withholding my presence from you, my relationship with you, until you do something for me. It's just in the opposite direction. 
right? Both scenarios are dangerous. Uh, and I can tell you, my dad did that. My dad, whenever he would get sick and it would be afraid, he'd suddenly get religious. But as soon as he got better, he'd go right back to his lifestyle that he had before. Every single time until the last time. The last time he changed. My dad changed. No question about it. He stayed changed. There's no question in my mind. He was not the same person he had been those other times. But it was, it's a dangerous place to be when we are negotiating with God and saying, God, if you will take away this, I'll go to church. We have to, that is not fearing God. That is not honoring him when we do things. like. In fact, it is showing we don't respect him, right? Uh, how many of you tell your, would tell your parents uh, that uh, I'll do what you say if you'll give me money? Oh, you want, mama, you want me to come clean the house because you can't reach the baseboards? Uh, here, give me 20 bucks and I'll come do it. If you don't pay me, I'm not coming to do it. How many of you would do that to your parents? I wouldn't. I get mad at my grandkids. Mom hands out money, hand and fist to my grandkids, or my, sorry, my kids, her grandkids, to come up and do stuff for her, and I fuss at her. Don't give them money, right? Make them come up and do it anyways. Right. And every once in a while, Alex will say, Granny, you don't need to give me no money. And he's really good about that. And Granny still gives him money. Um, but, you know, we should not we wouldn't do that with our parents. We shouldn't do that with people that we love. Right. Why do we do it with God? My goodness, it would be a faux pas in the world. It is terrible with God because we are disrespecting who he is. We cannot forget who God is. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he created us, he breathed life in us, he deserves to be respected and honored. So um, we need to do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? That we may become blameless and harmless. So what Paul is saying here with the word blameless is he's saying, saying that in this, we should not have uh, be consumed with sin that the world would have any reason to speak all against us. So when the world looks at you and I, they should see Christ and have no way, no reason, no uh, thing that you have done in front of them that would cause them to be able to bring a charge against you. Now, I wish that I could say that I've lived my whole life blameless, but I have made mistakes. I have gone off in meetings. I have raised my voice. I have yelled, yelled, right? Uh, I may have used a word here and there that I shouldn't have used in the course of my existence on this earth, right? When I've gotten angry uh, in front of people, right? Uh, and, but, you know, we are as much as we can to live blameless, right? So that means if everybody at your job is, uh, uh, you know, covering each other and using the time card system to lie and take an extra 20 or 30 minutes for lunch, you don't do it, right? Because it undercuts our testimony, they're all good with uh, you doing it with them until you tell them about Jesus and they go, well, who are you to tell me what I'm doing is wrong? Look at what you're doing. You're stealing every day, 30 minutes, half a day, a half an hour salary every day, right? And that applies across the board. We are to live blameless in front of this world so they can never, never uh, bring to light something that we would be ashamed of. And we've all made mistakes and we've got things in our past and that those things are under the blood. But as you and I walk in our lives today, we need to understand that we're not just living for ourselves. We are also living for Christ and people are watching and it will hurt the gospel 
if you and I are not walking blamelessly, if we are not living blamelessly. He then also says that we are to be harmless. That Greek word there would be better translated innocent. What that means is, is that you and I, even and when no one is watching again, we are to not be consumed by sin. We are to be innocent before God, right? We are to live above reproach, right? Even when no one's watching and when the world's watching, we are to live above reproach. We're to be men and women of godly integrity and character, right? Here's the thing. Your reputation is what man thinks about you, but your character is what God knows about us, right? That's what God knows. And we are to be innocent, when it comes down to what God knows about us, above reproach. Meaning you can't be tempted to do something you're not supposed to do. No matter how much money or prestige or whatever is offered, no matter how much you might enjoy it or I might enjoy it, that we cannot be tempted to sin above reproach. We are to be harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So we are to be God's children. People are to know that we're God's children. People are to know that we belong to Christ. People are to know without a question who your father is. Right? Uh, Like when I was a kid, they knew that I was uh, Lily and Jim Crawford's son. Right? They knew who I belonged to. Why? Well, my last name was Crawford. They labeled me with it. But also, I, I talked about my mom and my dad constantly, my mommy and my daddy. They knew I was their kid. I obeyed their rules. I lived in their house. I submitted to their authority. I can't tell you how many times my friends made fun of me because I had a curfew or because I had to tell my mom if I was going out of the yard, right? I had to get permission. I submitted myself to her authority. I uh, respected her. And guess what? The world knew I belonged to them. I lived in her house. Guys, we have to show this world that we belong to Christ, that we live in his house and are under his roof and submit to his authority. If we don't, why would they want to? Why do they want to move in if we're not serving him and honoring him, right? Or if we're grumbling and complaining all the time, they're going to be, why do I want to serve a God who makes me miserable? We are to be children of God that reflect the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the love of God to the world that they know who we belong to, to whom we belong. Why? Because this world is crooked and perverse. That word, uh, the Greek word translated crooked there is where we get the English word sclerosis. That turning of the spine. Right? So your spine is supposed to be straight and in a certain way. But what happens with time and, and, and certain diseases and things, the, the, uh, the spine will get crooked. Right? And not be what it's supposed to be. And then Paul goes one step further. Not only does he say that the spine is crooked, that this generation is so far, that they're crooked and they're off the path that God had set for them. He then calls them perverse, which he's saying, not only is it crooked, it's so crooked there ain't no fixing it. Right? It's like a tree limb. It's got twists and turns all the way through it. Right? There ain't no making it straight unless you, uh, you're cutting off a big portion of it. And even then, it'll have some curve to it, right? So uh, he's saying this perverse generation, this crooked generation, right? He's saying the world that we live in is messed up so far away from God's standard, right? 
that we need to make sure we are upholding his standard. Because this world needs Christ. Your neighbor needs Christ. Your family member needs Christ. Our world leaders and our leaders of our country and in our states and in our counties, they all need Christ. They all need Christ. And you and I are to be children of God and represent God to this crooked and perverse world so that they have no fault against us, no ought against us, be above reproach so it reflects upon God and how holy and awesome and mighty he is. He says that among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, it's interesting because the Greek here that Paul uses here, among whom you shine as light, is actually saying you cannot help but shine. Right? So what he's saying here is you must shine. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, right? If you are honoring him and reverentially fearing him and obeying him and serving him, you must shine. You can't help it. You'll shine. And the light will be on, and it will be bright, and you will shine. We must shine into a lost and a dying world that has been darkened by sin and rebelliousness and corruption a crooked and perverse generation. We must shine the light of Christ. We must. We have no choice. It is not optional. If we are not shining, then we're doing something wrong. Right? If we're not shining, what good is to have a, the Bible says is to have a light, put a basket over it. It's, it's worthless. What good is salt that's lost its flavor? It's pretty much worthless. We are to shine. It is not a suggestion. It is not an option. It is a command. We must shine. If you and I are living our lives the way the Bible instructs, we cannot help but shine. But when we shine... In a dark world, we make people uncomfortable. If you are living, oh my goodness, if you and I are living every day and we're not making somebody uncomfortable, we're doing something wrong. Unless you live in a perfect world where no one does anything wrong and everybody knows Jesus, you ought to be making somebody uncomfortable, right? So, for example, on my job, they know that I'm a pastor. They know that I'm a Christian. They know that I don't use certain language. And so they try not to cuss that in front of me. And if they slip up and do, they will apologize to me. Right? They'll apologize. So what they do out, not in front of me, I don't care. But what that tells me is what? My light's shining. My light's shining. Because they know I don't use that language. I don't want to hear them take the Lord's name in vain. Right? I don't want to hear any of those things. My light's shining. And so it makes them uncomfortable. In your daily life, you should make people uncomfortable as you constantly choose God over the world. Yeah. Right? If you and I are choosing God over the world, then not everybody's going to like us. Because when they're standing around someone's desk at work and they're telling dirty jokes or they're gossiping, you don't stand there and listen. Yeah. Now, I wish I could tell you I was perfect and had never done that. There's been a time or two uh, where I have participated actively both listening and speaking in a good round of gossip. Or maybe the occasional inappropriate joke. Right? There have been times when I've failed and I haven't reflected Christ the way that I should. And it hurts testimony. Yep. Right? So if you and I are saying, you know what, and you don't even have to make a big deal out of it. 
When they start talking that way, you just find a reason to leave and go back to your desk at work. And that's typically what I try to do now. I find a reason to extricate myself without, you know, without being a part of it. I don't have to bring out my King James Bible and give them all a good tap on the forehead and tell them they're all going to hell for the way that they're talking. All I have to do is turn around and extricate myself from the conversation and they'll know why. Right? Uh, here's the problem. We got a lot of Christians with their big Bibles bopping people on the head, but they haven't opened it and started reading it. Uh, they love to throw it around and use it against people, uh, but they themselves, uh, they're not living, living it. They ain't reading it. So we don't have to do that. If you're a Christian, you don't have to pop somebody upside the head with your big Bible or your vast biblical knowledge. If you and I are serving Christ in the way that, uh, 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 the way that Paul is explaining here, people will just know you can't help but shine. You can't help but shine. And when you shine... You'll, you'll, you'll stir the pot. But that's a good thing because people should be uncomfortable in the presence of God. Amen. One of my worst fears is for people to be able to come into the presence of God and worship or lift their hands and live like uh, Satan all week long and to come in and have no conviction in the house of God. That means the preacher's not preaching or doing something right, Right? That means something is wrong. We need to be convicted as, as children of God of what we're doing wrong and to make changes. And if you and I are reflecting to this world, Christ, they will, there will be conviction. And conviction will result in one of two things, rejection or acceptance. Most of the time, it's going to lead to rejection. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. So we shouldn't be uh, planned to be accepted by the world. We should just know it's coming. This crooked and perverse generation, we're going to be rejected for being the light in the world. But that's why we need each other so much. That's where unity comes back in, where we talked about earlier. Because we can't rest in the relationships of the world because they are going to reject us the majority of time. So we got to have the relationships within the body of Christ to support, love one another, serve one another, and have that there and not be seeking it in the world. If the church is so dysfunctional that we cannot have relationships with each other to, so that we don't have to rely on the world for those relationships, something's broken. And it scares me. Right, as being a pastor of, of this church and each of you. I want you to be able to build meaningful relationships with each other. And if we can't, we need to figure out why. Yeah. Now, some people are just introverts. Some people don't share their business. All of us have diarrhea of the mouth, and we be sharing all of our business with everybody all the time. But there's some people don't like, like that. I get it. That's okay. We share in our business and everybody else's. But, right, we, we, what we got to do is we got to find somebody that we can cultivate a relationship with that we can get that need met and not have to find it in the world. Amen. Right? And so uh, we should have that because the world is going to reject us if we are living according to God's word and God's standard. Mm -hmm. Holding fast the word of life. So let me stop there. Holding fast the word of life. That there, the Greek word hold fast would actually be better translated hold out or hold forward to basically pass off, right? So it's not just hold fast, but it is holding out the word of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ to give it to others, right? Not just holding to it yourself, but giving it to others, 
We should, we should want to share Christ with others. It should drive us. Why? Because if we understand the realities of hell, we don't want nobody to go there. Right? Uh, I've told you this before, but there's a, a devout atheist. His name is Penn from the Magical Act, Penn and Teller. He does not believe in God. He does not. Uh, he, he, he thinks that we're all crazy. But he also says that if you and I as Christians do not try to win souls for Christ, we're evil people. Why? Because what is our doctrine? That we're lost. In a, a dying world, all of us are lost. And without Christ... We're going to die and burn in hell for eternity. Yeah. And he's, his exact words, how must, much must you hate someone to not share them with them the way out? He said, I have no respect for Christians who do not try to share the gospel. Because if you love people, you'll share it. Which is right. And so we need to hold out the gospel. Hold it out there to the world to give it to whomever will take it. A lot of people are going to pass by, ignore it, not pay attention, right? But it only takes one. If it's one person's life that is changed by me holding out the gospel in front of me for them to receive, then it was worth it. I may be rejected by a hundred people, but if there's just one, that will accept Christ as Lord and Savior, whom God calls and draws to himself, and God uses me to share the message, then my goodness, the angels rejoice in heaven for the one. So if I get rejected a million times and only one person comes to know Christ, well, I know this, that person's life was changed and they will not spend eternity in hell. And how much indifference to, oh my goodness, how much indifference must a Christian have to not share the gospel of Christ with a lost and a dying world? How much indifference? It doesn't have to be hate, but indifference to simply not care. I'm covered by the blood. Who cares if anybody else is? I'm going to be there. Hope to see you there someday. My ticket's punched. That's not how it's supposed to be. We are to share the gospel, to hold forward, to present the gospel. They should always know that Christ is our Savior and that he is our Lord and that he can be their Savior too. Always hold it out. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul is saying that as you do those things, as you're obedient, as you are the light in the darkness, as you are walking daily, presenting the gospel of Christ and holding it out for others to receive and to see, right? It lets me know that all the work and all I suffered for you, church, was worth it. All the prayers, all the crying, being beaten and imprisoned, right? All of those things are worth it because you are honoring God and serving God and Christ is being preached and people's lives are being changed by the power of God's word. So everything I suffered was not in vain because you're still serving a loving God whether I'm there or not. People are being changed even though I'm not there. Lives are being impacted. People are being set free even though I'm not there. You are serving God and therefore that is a testament that everything I suffered wasn't in vain. It had to encourage the Apostle Paul because right now he was under prison and house arrest. 
He spent a lot of his time in jails and, and being arrested or not where he would have wanted to be. So it brought him great joy to know that his labor was still being fruitful. When I was a kid, my dad and I had a, a little sapling that grew up, a little maple tree. And it was only about this big when I found it. And I said, Daddy, can we do something with it? And so him and I and my little brother, Charlie, we took that little sapling, just a tiny little thing. We took it out in the field behind our house, close to the fence, and we planted it. And to this day, well, I haven't been by there since in a, quite a few years, but not too long after mom moved. So it's been about seven or eight years ago. When I went by, that tree has huge, grown, and I get a sense of pride. Hey, when I was like eight years old, my daddy and my brother and I planted that little tree from a, sap, a sapling and look at it, it's huge and it's growing. Well, I remember when mom still lived there, we put a rope swing on it and my kids got to swing on the rope underneath that tree. There is a sense of excitement when you see something that you labored for still growing and prospering even after you're gone, right? It gives you hope. And that's what Paul is saying here. I have hope, I rejoice, I have joy because you guys are still getting it done, still doing it. And it lets me know every stripe I took and all those calluses and all that pain was worth it. He then goes on to say, and yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So what Paul is saying here, he's not talking about what was ultimately going to be his martyrdom and his death. This is what he's talking about. So the Greek imagery here is this. It's actually word used. Uh, it's a Greek word trans that's translating something from the Old Testament. And what it was is that when you would perform a sacrifice, there were times when you would take a drink offering, a drink, a, a very pricey, valuable uh, wine typically, and you would pour it. And you could pour it on the animal being sacrificed, or you would pour it just above its head on that altar. And what would happen is, is that it would evaporate and become steam and smoke and go up to heaven. But it wasn't the sacrifice itself. It was an offering that went along with the sacrifice. What Apostle Paul is saying here is actually quite beautiful. He's saying, you guys, as you serve and you are working in the kingdom, as you are making sacrifices, as you are serving, you are preparing a great sacrifice that's honoring God. Through your service, through preaching the gospel, for being light, for, for right in this crooked world, you are preparing the sacrifice and me. I get the privilege of being included along it like a drink offering, going up to God and a great beautiful aroma that is a blessing and worship to him. He ain't the sacrifice. He's just a portion of it, that drink offering poured out. So actually it's the work of the people, the Philippians serving God, loving God, the sacrifice of their work. That is the meat of what is being offered to God. And the Apostle Paul is getting to enjoy the results of their sacrifice as that drink offering. Meaning, again, it was all worth it. You guys are working and you are serving and that is a beautiful sacrifice to God. And I am so thankful and grateful that I get to be poured out right there with your sacrifice that it is honoring Christ. Amen. My goodness, church, it is my heart that someday I would be able to say that with every single person that has come through the doors of this church, that as they work and as they serve and as they, they're laying forth their sacrifice before God, 
right? That it would, I, it would be my honor, right? Of what you are doing and accomplishing with Christ. Not jealousy, but honor, right? That you're honoring God and serving God and with your sacrifice, I rejoice, 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 rejoice that God is accomplishing something great in somebody's life. There's no place for jealousy and envy in the kingdom of God. Amen. So if someone leaves a church and they go and they go and do mighty things for God, then we should rejoice that God used them. Right? And not hope for their downfall. Amen. We should rejoice. They're the sacrifice. And no matter what part we played, no matter if it's this small, we got to play a part in their life and in that ministry that went on, right? That's what it's all about, guys. Producing sheep, serving God, presenting the gospel, and encouraging each other and even other brothers and sisters of Christ who leave or in other churches to serve God and to be successful and impact this world for him. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 224. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.